Hello, and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast. Brought to you by Biotechniques, this show brings you the latest from the frontiers of the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques digital editor, Tristan Free, and in this episode, I'm taking a look at infectious disease research and response, focusing in on vital step at the foundation of these two fields, sample collection and preparation for delicate and biohazardous samples. Coming up in the episode, we will travel from the challenges of sample collection and protection in space. What really becomes a concern in space, the zero gravity and handling of the liquids, because in space, literally anything liquid floating into space is a big concern. To the highways. They were transporting actually COVID samples from one place to another, and there was a car accident happened and the, the car caught on fire. And to provide me with an expert perspective on this topic is Stanislav Foreman, product developer at Zamo Research. Stan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Tristan. Thanks for having me. Um, so firstly, Stan, um, what are some of the key aspects of sample collection for um, infectious disease research that can make it challenging? Any, any step along the way can make it challenging as we learned now during the COVID and I would dissect it into a couple of things. Is the accessibility of the sample collection to the actual uh, individuals to be tested. Then it's the sample preservation during the transport, if there's any. And then it's compatibility with the detection techniques. All in all, it's the time from sampling to the detection to get the results as fast as possible. And in that time between the sample being collected and then it being worked on or the DNA or RNA being sequenced, those, those key molecules can degrade and, and suffer as a consequence of that time delay. It may, definitely, depending on the workflows basically utilized for the sample collection and then let's say the, the transport media used, now the type of transport, correct, uh, depending on where the, where the collection happens and where it's going for analysis. And, um, and so during the beginning of the, um, the COVID-19 pandemic, the, the sort of intensity and the speed that that pandemic was spreading raised a lot of issues as well. Um, do you want to tell us about some of those issues? Yeah, that's, that's why I mentioned the word accessibility, because that became immediately an issue during COVID in many different ways. On the side of the, the sample collection, essentially immediate shortages in, in collection devices, just the hardware, the tubes, the swabs, basically showing that there's only a few original manufacturers of these devices or in terms of swabs, which is just one of the collection, collection techniques and that it's not in their capacity to cover, cover the world, not, 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 not even one country. So we've ex- experienced this firsthand as, the, as a company just because we've, we've had solutions for collection and we've had the workflows, the purification. And so we've been involved um, as a nucleic acid purification company in this field for uh, years prior to the pandemic. Part of that problem then, as you, as you just said, was the, the actual requirement for materials and, and solutions for sample collection and sample preparation at the beginning of COVID due to that, that high demand, which then obviously led to a huge amount of people coming in and creating uh, those, those solutions and materials to try and fit the need. Um, but d- does that then raise any other issues? Yes, it does pose other challenges and when the obvious suspects so to call show uh, not enough capacity it causes others coming others coming into play and 
Uh, it's about quickly coordinating the response and the, the compatibilities between the solutions, uh, increased capacity in production. And there's definitely different takes from different subjects. And, and, and then comes another layer with, for example, regulations and, and things like that. So things that doesn't basically clarify overnight or don't get simpler overnight. So I think things started to ease up only year year later or so, which we just kind of entered that phase. And not because of uh, the improvements in, in overall testing. So it's it's taken almost a year for those those new solutions to um, finally get to a place where they're being utilized effectively and, and to, a, to a high standard and they're executing to a high standard. Yes, and I would say it's still ongoing process because we were last year, uh, March last year, we were probably the first ones filing with FDA for at-home, so-called at-home use. Uh, uh, for for a collection for a collection kit, and it was something unheard of before. So we were not necessarily met with uh, a positive response at that at that time. Now it's something you've probably heard on on uh, on the radio, on TV, and the news all over the world. It's still an ongoing process of of making the sample collection actually. Uh, simpler and bring it all the way to the individuals or point of care and providers and, and having making this process actually simpler. Being, being at the, the very beginning, one of those first um, sort of, sort of uh, one of those first groups to be applying for at home testing um, and trying to get that through. What was what was the reasoning behind the negative response? Did they think it was a, a ridiculous idea that people wouldn't be able to execute the test properly at home. Um, what were some of the challenges that you were coming up against there? I would say like this, it's it's understandable in many ways. In a situation like that, if it's if you say exactly on the on the spot, everything is um, sort of so hyped up and then so one one take on it is you just want to bring in solutions immediately. But then the responses are understandable uh, because there are many concerns, uh, concerns of uh, correct sampling um, so that the, the 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 collected samples are actually valid for the for the analysis so that it doesn't cause more problems concerns over um, patient safety or individual safety so we were professionals with so we definitely recognize these these concerns so we were actively collaborating with uh, with fda and and others and and basically working through this um, and I just want to take it back to um, infectious diseases in, in general. So um, sort of stepping back from the, the pandemic for a bit and looking at just general infectious disease sample collection. So, so these samples are obviously difficult for a number of reasons. But one of the key things is that they're, they're ultimately dangerous. You, you can be infected um, through those samples and, and then that's obviously going to lead, um, cause harm to the researcher. So what, what are the current um, or the, the established practices put in place to try and um, minimize that threat, uh, and then also to address some of the other, other challenges that um, exist in sample collection. Um, so I would say in this phase that I can't help it, but bring up that we've addressed this historically. So a solution that we have, one of the solutions, uh, the, the reagents called DNA-RNA shield, and that is to protect DNA and RNA. And it's 
starting with its development, the uh, sample inactivation was one of the key key features for it. And so this has been around for now a decade or, 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 or so. And, and when you say so sample it, inactivation, sorry, um, do you mean that meaning, literally kills the virus or, or the, um, the pathogen? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, killing the virus or pathogen and essentially freezing that sample, but in, in terms of infectivity, making it essentially non-infectious immediately. And not all solutions used for sample collection are like that. Actually, majority is not because traditionally the vast majority of the sample collections were done uh, so that the samples can be also cultivated so that you can still grow the virus or the bacteria because those are very dominant, have been very dominant tests in the clinical settings. Uh, we were with, with the development of the DNA-RNA shield aiming for strictly molecular diagnostics uh, based on a DNA on RNA nucleic acid component. Okay, so, and, and it protects the, um, you mentioned that it, it not only inactivates um, the pathogen, but then it also defends the, the DNA and the RNA. How, how, does it, how does it protect that DNA or RNA? Because normally these kind of sample collections, um, these kind of samples are, are stored on, um, on kind of dry ice to keep them as cool as possible, um, to protect them degrading or anything in, in those long transits that you can experience with, with this type of sample collection. Um, so, so how does this medium um, replicate that um, sort of freezing process? Thanks for asking that. So I use the word freezing uh, um, uh, metaphorically. So we, in fact, the region doesn't require freezing and, and actually allows for ambient temperature transport, meaning uh, you can go from ambient temperature, anything that is, uh, including high temperatures, I can give you some examples of what, what these samples have withstand in the field. The DNA RNA shield works, basically it lyses and deproteinates the sample immediately. That lytic component to the reagent allows for a quick, quick inactivation of many pathogens. It, this started with um, evaluations by, by military. Uh, we ended up being used by NASA, various groups working with NASA for very specific applications. Um, the, the military interest was really related to infectious disease. So it started with um, Ebola, MERS, HIV inactivation, and the use of the reagent in uh, various parts of worlds where it's hot and it's difficult to get the samples out of field. There's still a week or weeks before that sample can get somewhere on the plane and, and go for, for, for later, later analysis. So you mentioned earlier that you had um, some examples of, of this medium um, working in some pretty exceptional circumstances in the, in the real world um, and, and protecting samples. Um, can you go into a little bit more detail about those, those examples? Yeah, so I have already mentioned some of the military use that was at the beginning of that would usually be focused on a singular infectious disease uh, or infectious agent. So, you know, flu, uh, HIV, Ebola. Uh, but in order to illustrate the, the full potential, I, I feel like one of the good stories is usage of the media for complete microbiome protection uh, in very complex samples. So blood or, or fecal samples where there's a tremendous diversity in the samples themselves and the, the populations that they, they, they carry. One of the good examples or interesting examples is maybe NASA. 
there's many things that people are trying to get tested in space, but uh, various microbiome groups and NASA themselves uh, have chosen DNA RNA shield um, to be utilized on board of uh, International Space Station and different different flights uh, to carry the research on microbiome. Uh, essentially trying to eliminate the cold chain storage, uh, which is extremely expensive, especially in space, and being able to store these samples for prolonged periods of time on uh, in space before bringing them down for uh, down to Earth <laughs> for for analysis. And um, the reason is uh, basically what I call the so-called uh, metaphorically freezing of the sample in this region that preserves the complete profile as it was at the time of collection. Uh, and by the, by the samples being in space, uh, are there any kind of extra factors that you need to think about with regard to how the sample is going to um, interact in a, a zero gravity environment? Is, is that something that could have an impact on, um, on any of the samples? Uh, great question. <laughs> I would twist it a little bit. What really uh, becomes a concern in space, uh, the zero gravity and handling of the liquids, because in space, literally anything, anything liquid getting into just floating in, floating into space is a big concern. So safety concern for the astronauts. <laughs> so we were, we were in collaboration to develop uh, a, a specific device that basically sequesters the, the, the reagent so that it can be used in space. But Essentially, we are space cleared with the reagent for, for, for NASA, bringing back home these, these samples for actually research that's pretty vital for, for long-term missions. One of the topics is, is dietary research for astronauts potentially going to Mars and developing the uh, potentially diets that will not affect their microbiome, therefore health. So not only have you developed a reagent that can keep those samples safe for a long period of time, you've also developed a device that allows you to um, to sort of conduct the, the sample extraction and then um, deposit in, into that medium uh, in space without any liquid getting into any kind of key components of, of the spacecraft or um, any sort of air filtration systems or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yes, it is. It was a specific collection device, including the same reagent for that utility. And I think I also read a story about this product being involved in a in a road traffic accident. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that strange story? The story is is surreal a little bit, and it's it's tragic, but it has this kind of happy ending. They the, they were transporting actually COVID samples from one place to another. And there was a car accident happened and the, the car caught on fire. And of course, the samples were protected. They were in additional container, etc. But all these things burned. And so samples, according to them, were definitely exposed to really high temperatures. And so the tubes were intact and the region in it with the samples, that was all intact. But they didn't have high hopes of getting anything out of it. However, they reported Genomes were safe. They sequenced the samples, and and all that was successful. So they were extremely grateful for that. Yeah, no, it's fascinating that it can. It's so effective that it can even protect it from, you know, a, a blazing car. Quite an incredible story. So, uh, what do you think then? The um, the full impact of products that can both protect and neutralize these infectious samples could could be for for the future of infectious disease research and outbreak response. We still see it as a as one of the crucial features because some of the transport is inevitable 
and it's also the protection of the people uh, involved with the sample collection and anybody involved with uh, with the transport we had the collaborators during covid you know uh, for the transport it's it's fedex and we see even from from the not just from our side from the side of the test providers the concern for the transport the concern being that by transporting samples literally through FedEx, someone could become safe infected transport. with them. Correct, safe transport. And so even though there are there are regulations where samples can be transported, et cetera, et cetera, unifying this somehow would, would definitely benefit the whole chain. And um, so now we have these kind of these solutions that, that are capable of doing this. Um, what areas in sample collection and, and sort of pre- preparation for, for infectious disease research um, do you think still needs work? Are there any kind of key to- key areas that you look at and think this is something that desperately needs improvement in this area um, for us to do really, really effective work here? It's definitely the, the, the whole, whole sample collection is still very open, still very open. And it goes back to the first word I mentioned, and that's accessibility making this accessible, simple to use in a uniform way. So being able to bring it to at-home collections so that you can you can do the collection uh, without assistance because that 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 in itself simplifies the simplifies the whole process. And then the increasing the compatibility with the, the various detection workflows. So there's a lot that that can be can be improved. So I, I, I see that these recent ev- events will definitely be the spark for for that or have been already and and if you could ask for for one thing to to help you make those improvements and that can be literally anything so a a fantasy new technology or a piece of information that's going to help you develop develop solutions for those issues uh, what would it be what would you ask for that's a that's a good question i don't think there is like one miracles thing that enables this i think lots of it is in communication and collaboration and sort of seeing the common goal because the the whole workflow is relatively complicated as you can see there's many pinch points that are definitely subject to you know regulations and validation and and so yeah i can say say one thing just uh, i think we'll all benefit from more more people working on this contributing to this to this topic and it's just what we have seen happening fantastic um well stan it's been great to have you on the podcast and it's been really interesting to hear about all the different applications of this and and it's it's versatility through um yeah as as you said earlier surviving a blazing car wreckage uh, and then also functioning up in space um and uh, and yeah thank you so much for coming on the pod thank you thank you justin If you have been interested by the topics discussed in this episode, you may want to check out our In Focus on Infectious Disease Sample Collection, sponsored by Zymo, over on www.biotechniques.com. You can keep up to date with our latest releases by following me at SciTristan or Biotechniques at MyBiotechniques on Twitter. Thanks for listening and goodbye.